0: Hello and welcome to the second season of All I Know. My name is Jen Winkleman and I'm your host for this time where we gather together as if we're around a little campfire and we're there to listen as everyday people tell us some of their stories. Here at this show, we believe that behind every single face, there are stories. And in every story, there are lessons for life that are waiting to be learned by the rest of us. So today our guest and I will have a largely unscripted conversation aside from the anchor questions that we use to get into our interviews. And then as our guest story unfolds, if you and I choose to do so, we can catch the truth and knowledge and wisdom that's being shared with us like little fireflies in a jar, and then use that as light for our own paths in life. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Welcome back, everybody. It's another episode of All I Know, and today I'm so excited to welcome my friend Chris, who is all the way in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, I'm in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Chris. Welcome. Hi, Jen. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we're going to sit down and do this today. So, we're going to just dive right into those four anchor questions that we always use. And I would like for you to tell us who you are. What do you think the listening audience needs to know about Chris to be able to mine some things out of today's conversation?
1: Right. So, I am a single woman in my 40s living in Atlanta, Georgia. Boop, boop. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to shout out the single 40s situation. <laughs> oh, hello, ladies.
0: Um, We're kindred spirits in that way for sure.
1: Exactly. Um, I've been in Atlanta for a couple years. I work for Delta Airlines, and for my job, I came down here. I live alone. I live in midtown Atlanta in a high-rise, so I uh, am surrounded by people all the time. I thought it would be fun to live in the middle of the city of Atlanta to get to know Atlanta before I put down some roots and figured out where I was going to settle. So, like I said, I've been here a couple years, and that's about it. It's so interesting
0: to me to think about, of course, you know, we're having this conversation as the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic is in swing, maybe rounding a bend because vaccinations are happening. And anyway, as you were talking about living in Midtown and being surrounded by people, I had this flash basically of like, huh, that's really different. I wonder what doing coronavirus like that was like because I did coronavirus in suburbia, and you probably can picture that pretty well, because the way Chris and I know each other is that years ago we were neighbors.
1: Yep, right. So you have to think about, for me, I have an apartment right now, just temporarily to figure things out in Atlanta, and I have about 900 square feet that's a gigantic square. So when we went on lockdown, so Atlanta, when when the coronavirus, you know, came out and every, and it started to get serious, Atlanta proper went on a total lockdown. So we weren't allowed to leave our residences unless we were going to the gas station or to the grocery store or if we were an essential worker. So when you think about, even when you'd go out in the hallway to take the garbage out, you'd run into people and it was new to the masks. And so people weren't wearing masks, people were wearing masks and... You know, you walk to the grocery store, but I mean, really, I was spending the majority of my time in this little apartment and I have this little balcony that, you know, looks out into a courtyard. So life just completely changed.
0: Got really small, really fast.
1: Really small, really fast. I mean, it was, (laughs) there was one day where I think I had under a hundred steps for the day because you just, you know, wake up, go to the bathroom, go to the kitchen, You know, go to the bathroom a couple times throughout the day, and then there's your living room, and then you go back to bed, right? Like, you're just not even really moving, and it was just a really interesting... thing to get used to. Even going to the grocery store, the demographics of being in Midtown Atlanta really changed because there's a lot of office buildings. And so one of the reasons why I like living in Midtown is you can walk everywhere and you walk to the grocery store and you walk to the restaurants and whatever. But without having the business people in the community, it really turned into a ghost town. And it really was... So weird. Weird, eerie was the word that I would say. Just walking around in the middle of the day. I mean, I'm pretty smart where I don't go out too much at night by myself, but during the day it was weird and the just, it was just odd. Everything was odd. So. <laughs>
0: fascinating yeah it's it's really interesting how coronavirus has impacted all of us and I don't know why my brain just did that but there was something about the way you were describing living in a high rise in midtown Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's where my head went with it
1: yeah absolutely I mean it's just very different I don't have a backyard separating from this this is where I work but then this is where I you know sit and watch tv kind of stuff I mean it's all right there all the time so yeah You can hear your neighbors. I mean, your neighbors, my neighbor upstairs is a big fan of stomping around and, you know, (laughs) which is fine when it's not 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you just, I mean, there are things that you just have to get used to. So,
0: yeah, it's stretched all of us. Definitely. So on this spectrum between ordinary and extraordinary, Chris, where would you plot your life?
1: Uh, You know, I'd say I'm middle of the road. I think that, you know, I have a very ordinary experience with family and my friends and grew up in the Midwest and went to college and got a job and and that kind of stuff. I would go a little bit more on the extraordinary because I did take a different path. I didn't get married when I was younger and, and have children, and that's a different path to take. But I... I've taken the normal path that everybody else has, but I've done it slower. I take my time with things. So I didn't go to a normal four-year college. I went to a two-year college, and then I went out to Greenwich, Connecticut and was a nanny for a couple years. And then I came back and moved to Colorado on a whim and finished up college in Colorado. And while I was in college, I worked at restaurants and, you know, old Chicago. that That was the big one in Denver, right? But then once I graduated from college, I started my career path and then figured out I wanted to move to Minneapolis to be closer to my family and then got the job with Delta Airlines that brought me down to Atlanta, Georgia. So I think that my path was a little different and I think that it's brought me some great opportunities. I've met some great people along the way. I've had a lot of fun. I do a lot of traveling. So probably right in the middle of the road there. How do you define
0: success? What's your definition of success?
1: That's a great question. You know, success, I think, is different for everybody. I think, you know, some people are very focused on career success. I think some people are very focused on family success. The way that I live my life, I do spend a lot of time at work. I pour myself into my job, and success for me has a lot to do with my job and how i'm doing at my job how things are going there and also just how happy i am right i mean i think that i have done a pretty good job of having a lot of fun (laughs) very cliche but I always say I work hard and I play hard and I work really hard but then I allow myself the time you know have fun and usually it's a long weekend or maybe a week here or there but definitely a good time and I I feel like as long as I'm having fun with friends and my family and, and keeping those core people around me and then also being successful in my position at life I think that that's for me a definition of being successful.
0: When you reference fun and play and, you know, work hard, play hard, is your play hard mostly travel or are there other things that you would add to that that are part of how you play and make sure that there's fun and balance in your life?
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's a lot of travel and I think that that has to do with, um, even before I worked for an airline, I think that that had a lot to do with my friends. My core group of friends were kind of scattered across the nation, but we do a really good job of, of keeping in touch. Of course, as the years have gone on, it's much easier to stay in touch with the people that you know, which is awesome, you know, with Skype and email and text. And back in the day when I first went out to Connecticut as a nanny. I mean, I was writing letters to people, right? Isn't that
0: crazy to think about? (laughs) Yes.
1: I still have one childhood friend where we write
0: letters to each other, but it's because we love the nostalgia and the idea of the written word and getting mail in the mailbox. But, I mean, it's crazy how it's changed.
1: It has. I mean, even the phone calls, right? Like, you, you you didn't call people all the time because you had to pay for long distance. Right,
0: right. When cell phones came out, you had to negotiate calls on either after nine o'clock when you had free minutes. So you didn't use too many.
1: Yes. Yes, I know. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's just you almost forget about it because of how things are today. But yeah, I think that the core group of friends that I have and. You know, it stems from people that I grew up with. And then um, from those people that I grew up with, you know, it branched out to other people that I have met through them. And then I met a good group of people in Denver that I still stay in contact with. And because I think I don't have that core family of, of kids and a, a partner and everything, you know, I, I really look at my friends as, as the people that I need in my life and the people that I depend upon. And they are so great to me. And I think I do a pretty good job of making sure that we stay in contact and stay in touch. And it's not all the time. It's not every day. It's not every week. It's not every month. And sometimes it's not even every year, right? But when we do, you know, need each other or reach out, it's definitely, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I have success in my life because I have these people that mean so much to me to this day. Yeah, I think
0: being single, your chosen family, we all have our biological family and chosen family, right? I think that's just part of the human experience. But there is something I think about being a single person sort of changes the weight maybe of your chosen family because I resonate with what you were saying about how good your friends are to you. And a lot of my chosen family, are raising families they're on the I don't know what you want to say the traditional path or the regular path or the path that I wanted or <laughs> right, right I don't know what words we put around that but they have partners they're raising children and so there is, yeah there is something about those people being your people being your tribe that I think has a little bit of a different weight and significance to it for a single person
1: I agree with that I have a really good friend in Colorado, and her whole family. When I was out there, they were they were my family. You know, I went to Thanksgivings and Christmas, and you know, Easter and dinners, and we'd have Sunday family dinners, and we just you know they would invite me, and it was great, and I was part of their family, and I'm still in contact with everybody, and it's wonderful. I have my best friend that I've known since first grade. I just went to the virgin islands with her and her family they both work in healthcare and hadn't been able to do anything for a year because they had to be very careful with the virus and they got vaccinated and so i met them down there and, and we just had a wonderful time and as part of their family and i have another friend who who her and her husband and their one child they call me their daughter right as a joke and i just i've been very blessed to have people in my life that just I can be a part of their world as well. And and that's really important because like you said, you know, we don't have somebody at night that we turn to and and say goodnight and just having those bonds. I mean, even if they're across the miles, really do a lot for your mental health and, and, you know,
0: makes a difference. It really does. Yeah. Well, and I caught too. I don't know if you even remember saying it, but as you were talking about. Your chosen family, basically, you said something in kind of a fleeting way about, I think I, you know, try really hard to make sure that those connections are there. There is a different level of of effort. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there is. But I like it. I'm still the person who sends paper, mailing, birthday cards. It's just making that effort is really important to me.
0: Okay, so that brings us to... You know, that bigger question about three events, experiences, themes, circumstances from your life that you think have most shaped who you are. And then let's choose one to talk about more in depth.
1: So I think the first thing that really helped define kind of my course in life and um, who I am today is when I went out to Greenwich, Connecticut as a 19 year old from Iowa For that Uh, nanny job that you mentioned. For the nanny job. Yep. So I don't know if you know anything about Greenwich, Connecticut, but it's one of the wealthiest cities in the country. And I was from a small town in Iowa of 35,000 people. We had one public high school and one Catholic high school. And my graduating class, I think, was 365 people. And I thought that that was a a big city, right? Yeah.
0: So Greenwich feels a little bit different than Iowa.
1: (laughs) very different and it was a spur of the moment decision that i i was going to community college i was working the same waitress job that i had in high school and i saw i saw advertisement in our local paper for a nanny, and I thought, that'd be great. I'm a great babysitter right outside of New York City, 40 minutes from the city. Like, what a great opportunity. And three weeks later, I I moved from my wife in Iowa to Greenwich, Connecticut, and I had a great family. Um, It was one little boy that I watched, and I was very lucky in the fact that in Greenwich, Connecticut, everybody has nannies. A lot of people have them because the Moms might be stay at home, but they like to play tennis and they like to do social things and go shopping and their life needs a nanny. The family that I was with, they both worked and they were very much in their child's life at the time, but they needed somebody to take care of him during the day. So um, here's this little 19 year old coming out to Greenwich, Connecticut, and they were so great. They made me almost part of their family. So on the weekends, I mean, I had no friends and didn't know anybody and so they would take me places with them and we went out to the Hamptons on uh, you know in the summer and we went to polo games and we went on boats. And <sighs> it's like this- such a different culture basically. So different and then I joined a nanny club so I got to meet other nannies and then I would take the train into New York city by myself and meet my nanny friends there and tool around New York city. You know, I mean, it was just such a different experience and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I learned about a lot about the world that I didn't have a chance to do. I learned, you know, things that I wanted, things that I didn't want. I definitely learned the value of a dollar because (laughs) Iowa prices and New York city prices are very different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was a defining situation for me in my life, and and kind of changed the course of how everything else I think played out. Um, Were you living nanny, or did you have your own place? I was a living nanny, so I had my own bedroom and I had my own bathroom, and I had their car. And the boy and I would during the week I would take him to Gymboree, and I take him to the library all the time, and we would read because that was what I remember growing up and he was little. I mean, he was three months when I was out there and like two and a half when I left. So, Oh, you had some really special years with him, really special years. And the funny thing is we, I'm still in contact with the family today. He is a teacher (laughs) in New Jersey and he had a fellowship job out in Rome a couple years ago and so I went out there and I brought his sister with me and we just had a wonderful time. Um, you know, he, he was our tour guide and I got to spend time with them as adults and it's really awesome. So there's three kids now. The middle one is my goddaughter and then they have a younger son as well and they're all in are at college age and Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I mean, I love the fact that they're in my life and that I had that experience. I mean, I just, my life was so small and it just showed me a whole new world. Yeah, it broke open when you went to Connecticut. Yes, it did. That's a good way to look at it. What's the second... The second defining event, I think, is when I actually moved out to Colorado. So I had come back from being a nanny, and I was back in my hometown trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. had a, a junior college degree, but I wanted to go to college. But now I was at the age where my friends were graduating from college, so I just I didn't know what I wanted to do. And one of my good friends that I grew up with, she was graduating and got a job in Denver and she called me and said, Hey, you want to move to Denver with me and on a whim again. I just Here you go.
0: This is the third time you've said something that you just did it on a whim. Yeah. This is part of who you are.
1: (laughs) It is. I that I guess I've never thought about that, but yeah. And one of my Negative characteristics as you know, you analyze yourself is I tend to overanalyze everything. So, you know, I was just telling you that I was in the process of buying a house and it's been really challenging because I overthink everything. And this isn't the kind of market where you can go in and you know, take your time and look at no, stuff. it moves fast it, right
0: like, now, it moves uh, faster than you can think.
1: And I, I mean if given the opportunity, I want to analyze everything and overthink stuff. And and then I never make a decision, right? I have (laughs) a hard time making a decision because then I get an analysis paralysis. But then as you said, some of the defining characteristics are the things where I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. You know, let's throw yourself in. So that's what brought me out to Colorado. Two weeks later, I was out in Colorado and didn't have a job. I had a place to live with my friend, but I was just kind of figuring it out. And then a friend of mine now, but um somebody that I knew in my hometown, her niece was a bartender at Old Chicago. And so I called her up when I got out there and I said, Hey, you know, I'm from Iowa and need a job and I went out and I got the job at at Old Chicago and I made a ton of friends and you know, Colorado was just gonna be a let's see how it goes and I was out there for fifteen years. So It was a wonderful experience, and I grew up in Mason City, Iowa, but I grew up as a person in my 20s in Denver. In Denver. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, looking back on it now, I did more growing as a person in my 20s and 30s than I did in my younger years. You're so worried about Everything when you're a teenager and there's, you know, just all that stuff. And I think as you get into your 20s and 30s, you start to become the, a person who you can be.
0: Yeah, yeah, really kind of coming into your own. Right. Yeah.
1: And the experiences that I had in Colorado, and again, it was a totally different world for me, right? So going from Iowa and then being out in New York City, but then Colorado was totally different too. And the hiking and the mountains and the, just way of life and everything is just very different. And I am very lucky to have had those different opportunities and experiences.
0: Another culture shock.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I do miss Colorado out of all the places I've lived. I miss Colorado the most.
0: Yeah. Colorado is, it is a wonderful, beautiful place. And it has changed so much in the last 20 or 25 years, especially, you know, the metro area.
1: It really has. It's nuts.
0: It's had control. I mean, it just really, really, really has changed. When I think about Denver and feel like I love Denver, I'm actually sentimental and nostalgic about the Denver of 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, I've I've come out to visit some friends from time to time, and it's definitely different. You know, I remember when I got my first, office job and I had to go from Lakewood to Centennial. It's too congested.
0: That drive T-rex. sounds terrible.
1: T-Rex? T-Rex yes. going on. And the highway was nuts and whatever. And T-Rex was going to fix everything. And I'm like, now they need another T-Rex. Like the traffic is just insane.
0: Yeah. So for listeners who don't know about Denver, T-Rex was a gigantic construction project, a road and infrastructure project that we had that was just going to make our commutes so much better. And we did need a little bit more room at the time, but it is not nearly enough room to support the growth that Colorado has seen. So the congestion is still there. I, I have a couple of friends who've lived in Colorado for most of their lives too. And we just talk about how it feels like Denver got LA'd, <laughs> you yeah. know, where it just became someplace where it's just like, yeah, you can just never drive anywhere without there being traffic.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Or Atlanta's like that too. And just, yeah. well, it just didn't used to be like that. I mean, no, Rush hour, for sure, during T-Rex, but then after that, I mean, it was, you know, pretty open most of the time, at least for a good chunk of time there, but that that time has come and gone. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. So, when I talk about loving Colorado, my mind is about 20 years old. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we have taking that job in Connecticut and... Being a nanny for those couple of years and everything that came into your life as a result of that decision. And we have moving on a whim to Denver with a friend and basically doing a lot of growing up here, really becoming an adult in Denver. What's the third thing?
1: So, the third thing that I think has been defining moment or defining decision in my life is just the fact that, um, I have stayed single all these years, which is even in 2021, it's not common as women tend to get married or be with a partner or at least have children and, you know, have a family unit that they have close by. There's not a lot of older single women that stay single. I think it's true, or that if there are
0: women who are single, that they have marriage as part of their story. They're not single because they've been single. They're now single after divorce. Right. Like the unique part to me, I feel like, is the single all along.
1: Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. Had I had. Other people in my immediate circle, you know, whether it be a husband or a partner or kids, you know, I wouldn't have been able to make some of the decisions that I made, like moving out to Colorado or moving to Minneapolis when my dad got sick or something like that, right, or moving down to Atlanta to start at the new company, and it's made some of those decisions fairly easy. I think some of the travel that I've been able to do, I think the coronavirus situation that we've all been through has, you know, shed a light on both good and bad about being single. I think some of the bad part or you know, it's very hard to be in a box by yourself alone, as we talked about it before, and um, not having somebody to say goodnight to, or even just that human contact for a while. Right. And, and being able to look at somebody and smile at them with not have, wearing a mask or, you know, hold their hand or just even touch them on the shoulder. Right. I mean, it was
0: so scary at the beginning and we had a lot of scary feelings
1: alone. Yes. Yeah. Well, so I was in a situation where Lana in general went into lockdown and then I live in Midtown. And so I could walk to the grocery store and back but it wasn't really a lot that I could do and I was in my apartment 24 7 and then we actually had a shooting in my apartment in your building in my building it was a couple floors down from me and on the other side of the building so I didn't even know that it happened until they sent out communication to let everybody know but like people died and um oh my gosh yeah i mean it was crazy but i was working i was sitting here working at my kitchen counter while this whole you know situation was going down and i'm sitting here going this is terrible like i don't feel safe but i can't leave and i don't know what to do and i have a really good friend who lives out in north dakota and she (laughs) she Married a rancher about seven years ago, six, seven years ago, and he has a family ranch out in western North Dakota. And I was talking to her on the phone and just telling her about how, you know, I'd been down here a little over a year. I didn't really know anybody. I was going to be stuck in my apartment. I couldn't do anything, and now my apartment's not even safe, and I don't know what to do. And she's like, get on a plane and come out here. And... You know, she's like, we don't have neighbors for miles and we social distance anyway because there's nobody around us. You know, in a normal situation, she goes to Bismarck to buy groceries once every two or three weeks in general because it's 45 minutes away. I thought they're out there.
0: They are not in town. they They are out there.
1: They're out there. They have just, you know, tons and tons of land with, I can't even tell you how many acres. With cattle, they even have, like, a whole butte on their property. And they just, they're out there, and I'm thinking, I can get fresh air. I can, you know, not have to worry about somebody coming into the apartment. I mean, I don't know. Like, it was, the whole thing was kind of just freaky, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. Because I just, I didn't know at the time what was going to happen here. I mean, two weeks seemed like a really, really long time to be stuck in your house. And 2 weeks is so short compared to what actually unfolded for everybody. Exactly. I mean 2 weeks
0: is nothing and it, and you're right. At the time that that 2 weeks went into effect for so many of us, I think we felt like it was an eternity and we had no idea what was coming.
1: Like what were we going to do for 2 whole weeks not, you know, leaving, <laughs> not leaving our houses. I mean now you you chuckle right? Now we look yeah. at it and we're like, "Oh my gosh, like how silly is this?" But you know, at the time, it was really scary. And to put the cherry on the top was because I work for an airline. They were asking us all to take a leave of absence, they were not doing mandatory furloughs. But they were saying, if you can afford it, you know, because we went from making all this money to making zero money, and you still have to pay all your bills. And I Love the company I work for, and I wanted to help them. And so I thought, you know, I can take 30 days and make it work. So I packed my bag, and I went to the airport, and I jumped on a flight to Minneapolis. And then Were you scared to fly, Chris? I was nervous. Because that would have been
0: early in the early. pandemic.
1: Yep, early on. So I wore my mask. I was flying on my company, and I I knew all the safety protocols that they were doing, even right away. So I felt okay about it, but what was weird was I was, like, one of three people on a flight to Minneapolis.
0: Which is just, it really does feel like, is this the apocalypse? Yeah. Because of the level of quiet. We're so used to the buzz and the movement of people and the noise of just life
1: right and one of the hardest things was just going through the Atlanta airport where you know I was going through Atlanta airport three or four times a month and it's the busiest airport in the world and just the amount of people that are everywhere all of a sudden there was nobody and it was I mean you do you feel like what is going on is this apocalypse you know I think can we survive this as a company? I think about can we survive this as a society, like what's going on? And so to be able to go out to North Dakota and have that ability to still be outside and get fresh air and have people around me meant the world to me. You know, that was everything at the time. I don't know, had I not done that, where I would be at today, right? It was a really good experience for me to just get out of here because it was, I mean, it was hard, and it was unknown, and it was crazy. And so I did. So I got out there, and then I planned to stay for four weeks. I ended up staying for six weeks. Another 30-day LOA because I was having so much fun (laughs) helping them on the ranch. And, you know, my friend's husband (laughs) made a comment about me being the worst rancher he's ever known. And I'll (laughs) fully admit that because I i didn't know what i was doing and the the animals the cows scare me (laughs) and i know that they're really sweet and they're really wonderful but you know they're still mamas so something that i should clarify going out on the ranch in March and April and part of May, it's calving season for them. Mm-hmm. So they have to time when their herd gets pregnant. And it's it's a really big deal because they had, I, I don't know, I'm going to throw some numbers out that might be a little bit off, but something like 300 cattle. And so if you figure most of them are pregnant and some of them, they birth their babies and everything's great. Some of them, they have complications and you have to help them with, but you've got to, you check the calves, make sure it's okay. It's still cold in North Dakota at that time. Absolutely, so, yeah, yeah. So they're dealing with weather there. I mean, you know, one day it's it's like Colorado. One day it's seventy, and one day it's you know twenty degrees. But you have to check the cattle every day, and you know, help with with the births that are having trouble. And there's just a lot of work. And so uh, they said, "You're going to come out and help us." I'm like, all right, I'll give it a try.
0: So it's just the three of you on the ranch.
1: There was five of us. So I came out, and then um, they have a good friend who lives in Fargo, and he's in his 70s, and his wife is an essential worker, and she was going to have to work through all of it, and he's retired, so he decided to come out to the ranch and help as well which was very great for me. And then they also had a good friend whose son was 26 and he was um, worked in construction. And because of everything with the quarantines, he lived in Minneapolis and he also went on a furlough. Mm -hmm. So he came out. So you've got me, this metropolitan single 40-year-old woman who, you know, is scared of everything. You've got Rancher Rick who is so accustomed to being on a a ranch and and he likes helping out and doing all this stuff. And then you got this, you know, 26-year-old kid who's, like, learning how to do all this stuff. And we couldn't have been more different of people, but we called it our little quarantine family. And so it was the five of us and Um, And you guys took on
0: calving season together. We
1: took on calving season. So the men did most of the work outside seven days a week. Penny and I would, my friend and I would um, help out when we were needed. I mean, there are times where you need all five people to come and help and and help move the cattle or help with a, a tough birth or help give shots. I mean, the work involved in it and the coordination involved with it and you're coordinating Cattle. So, I mean, it's, th- there's a lot of skill involved. And I don't think people, I don't think I realized it, you know, about how hard it is to get the cattle to go where you need them to go. There's a lot of skill. And my friend's husband, Corey, was really helping trying to teach the 26-year-old and trying to teach me how to do some of this. And he learned a lot better than I did. Like I said, I was, <laughs> I was the last line of defense. <laughs> But I was there to help when I could. It was amazing to see. And you always hear Eleanor Roosevelt says, do one thing every day that scares you. I think she's the one who said that, right? I think you're right. Yeah, that sounds right. Almost every time I would go out on the ATVs or out with them to check the cattle, it was I was terrified. Because they're big animals. They're nice, but they're big animals. They're protective mamas. And Well, and you don't know what you're doing. And I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> It was quite the experience, but Penny and I did a lot of other things that weren't as rancher specific with the cattle themselves. I mean, we did some of the menial jobs, like picking up twine. So in the winter, they drop the hay and there's twine that's just left on the ground and you have to pick it up. You don't want to leave it. It's just, it's garbage. Well, they might eat it. That would probably be good for them. Or things could get trapped in it, or you can't turn up the ground with that there or whatever. So we spent a lot of time picking up twine, which sounds pretty boring, but we had this beautiful view for anybody who hasn't been to North Dakota. It is unbelievably beautiful, like shocking how beautiful it really is. And this is definitely on the western side. So, I mean, you're pretty close to the mountain time zone there, like 20 minutes from the mountain time zone line. So you've got some rolling hills. And, I mean, you're just out there in this beautiful day and picking up string and walking in this field. And you can't see people for... Miles, miles and miles. And sometimes, you know, when I can't see pennies on the other side of a hill, it's just me out here in this wide open space. And I was thankful every moment of that because I think about I could have been stuck in the middle of a metropolitan city in this little box and not being able to experience this. I loved picking up twine. That was, you know, it was great just being out there and doing that. Ranchers do a lot of fencing. I did not know this.
0: Um, (laughs)
1: It makes sense,
0: actually. When you say it, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yep, they're constantly building fences. Sometimes they're like electric fences. Sometimes they're other fences. And there's definitely a skill involved in it. And it is pretty hard, laborious work. And so we had to do that a lot. We had to pull cattle out of creeks and when they got stuck in the mud, and oh
0: man, and
1: things like that, like it's just it's crazy. And some of the stuff I enjoyed, some of the stuff I did not enjoy. we did help a cow do a, a open delivery. So usually when the when one of the mama cows is having trouble with labor, they'll shuttle it back into the the ranch where they've got equipment so they have this gigantic thing that like does this to a cow like squeezes a cow and holds them in place and they do that like for shots or like they'll put a mama cow in there and you can help them like if the if the calf isn't drinking the milk or whatever like you put it in there so that the cow stays right and is not running all over and they do that when they have to help with delivery and they've got all sorts of tools to help with the delivery and we went out and this one cow was not doing well and we tried to bring her in and she was not moving and so Corey was like okay we're gonna have to do this here (laughs) so we have no equipment we have nothing and the hooves are already out so i mean the calf was oh my gosh in labor And they literally put a rope around the the mama cow's neck and gives me the rope and says, here, hold her. Okay, this is like a two-ton cow, right? Yeah, just hold her. I'm like, I don't even know how this is going to work. And Penny and Corey are pulling and pulling, and and then finally they told me that I had to come over and help them pull, and we got got the baby calf out. and And when you
0: say pull, you're saying pull the calf.
1: Pull the calf out, yes. I mean... Penny, Penny is a very small girl, and she was like her legs were on the back of the cow, pulling the hooves of the calf out. And Corey and I had, we did have chains on the other hooves, and we were trying to pull chains, them chains like little, like little, kind of like bicycle chains. I don't know. They were in the ATVs, so you wrap it around so that you can grab and you can pull. And also, does it hurt them? Well, I mean, I I would imagine the mama cow was not feeling good at the time. I mean, it's kind of like a human birth, I would imagine, right? Oh, my gosh. Well, this ended up being just a big calf, but we got it out, and I got all... (laughs) They started laughing at me because I got all emotional. Like, I started... Tears were going, and I was just so proud of the mama cow, and I was just so happy and... <laughs> and they're like City Girl. Yeah. <laughs> like I got to see the the actual miracle of birth that I mean, there's not very many people who actually get to participate like that. Yeah. And Corey was even the husband was even saying that, you know, he's been a rancher his whole life and he's like, There's a handful of times that he's had to do that out in the open where you've got no equipment and you're just doing the best you can. So and that's what
0: an open delivery is. It's out in the open. That's what that yeah. means.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the mama, I give her so much credit because it's like she knew we were helping her. She didn't try to run away. Good thing. Cause it was just me holding that rope and she would have taken me off with her. I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing to see. And we went to check on the calf the next day and cause they still have to worry about coyotes. Coyotes are around, um, you know, just being out in the elements, you know, in North Dakota in April. And so we went out and we actually found the calf. And the calf was just curled up in a ball and looking pretty and looking healthy. And we were very happy. And all of a sudden, Penny turned and she said, we got to get out of here. And Mama was just tearing at us. Like, she's like, get away from my calf. Go now. And it's just funny because she was so gentle and and allowing us to help her at the time. But then 12 hours later, she's like, get away.
0: Yeah. Protective
1: instincts are kicked in. Protective instincts. Exactly. So that was probably one of the most amazing things I think I've ever seen in my life. Just being able to do that. It was great. We had a great time. And so the two other guys were there three of the six weeks and Penny and I, we would make dinner every night and we would clean and we would do some, you know, inside chores when the weather was really bad. I fed a lot of cats. They have a lot of cats. <laughs> so I was kind of, they were saying that I was like Snow White every morning, you know, just tossing the food out to the raccoons and the cats. And I think there was a couple skunks. And, um,. <laughs> what an
0: experience.
1: You know, it was, and I will say a couple things. One, if I wasn't single, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do that. Right. I might not have had the opportunity to take advantage of the LOA, which the leave of absence that my company was offering. And at the time it felt like a burden, right. To take on the financial burden of not getting paid for 60 days. And, you know, what am I going to do and whatever, but Because of my situation, I was able to do that. And since I was 18, have never taken more than a week or two at a time off. And to have 60 days where I didn't have to turn on my computer and I didn't have to check anything and I didn't have to report Monday through Friday and make sure I was available when people needed me and just to live, I mean, what a gift it was. I mean, it was an amazing gift to be able to just experience that and enjoy it.
0: I mean, I'm sitting here thinking you could have taken those 60 days, that leave of absence, and if you had spent those 60 days in Atlanta, how different Oh, yeah. how different that experience would be. Your leave of absence and the way that that played out, it was like so enriching for you, it sounds like. Where it's entirely possible that the exact same leave of absence time could have been taken. And it could have been, I mean, it could have just choked you out. I agree because there wasn't enough life in it, but you went where there was life. I mean, literally you went (laughs) to help with calving season.
1: Yeah. It was, yeah. And it was amazing to have that opportunity. It was amazing to have the fresh air every day I mean, it's something like that you take for granted. And, you know, even on the freezing cold days, I was thankful that I could step outside if I wanted to. Where here, it would have been really, really hard to figure that out for those 60 days. And my friends, I mean... I'm so thankful that they gave me the opportunity to stay there. And, you know, like I said, the five of us in our little quarantine family could not have been more different. But we just all got along. We watched Ozark every night as a, as a quarantine family. You know, we'd have dinner and then watch Ozark and then get up and do it all over again. I mean, it was really fun. And we had great memories and great experiences. And I'm bizarrely thankful that this opportunity had presented itself and that I was able to do that. So
0: yeah, what an extraordinary 60 days of quarantine under this umbrella that is dealing with COVID-19. You have a unique story.
1: Yeah, it was, I'd like to say that I've taken advantage of the situation the best that I can. I think one of the hardest parts of quarantine and just the covid situation for me was not being able to see my mother Um, she's in iowa and she's 79 and it was just hard to never see her and and be able to to get with her and so that was in march and april and then going into the end of the year it was kind of we always thought we were going to go back to the office and you know at some point but then something kept happening and happening and and finally they announced that we weren't going back until after the new year and so i decided for the end of the year that i was going to go and live on a beach i've always wanted to live on a beach and i've you know never had the opportunity to do that before for a long period of time so i got an airbnb right on a beach in florida and i purposefully picked a place that would allow the room to bring my mom down and we wouldn't we wouldn't have to do stuff we wouldn't have to go out i mean florida was a little concerning because of the lacks on the rules and her age but we were we were very cautious of it and we had a place where we could enjoy being outside but still being in our own little area and so i flew her down and we were very careful with the flying. And at that point, I knew how careful the airlines were being with the extra security around cleaning. And I put her in the first row so that she didn't have to have a lot of contact with other people. And we came down, and I was able to work from home there. And she would do her puzzles or sit out on the balcony. And we saw dolphins every day. And we would get up with in the morning, and we'd walk the beach for 45 minutes before the day started, before people started coming and filling up the beaches. Be on the beach every day. We got to see the dolphins every day. I mean, it was just this beautiful view, and we would go to the grocery store at 7 o'clock in the senior hour with her and get our groceries, and then we just cook at home, and that was also an amazing experience that I would never have had, had I not been single, (laughs) and also had I not tried to see the silver lining in the quarantine situation right Mm -hmm. and so after all year of not being able to see with her and being with her for a handful of weeks in this beautiful place and we could just enjoy each other's company I mean it was really wonderful
0: I so admire that you are able to do this to give this to yourself and to participate in it in a way where you're giving to these loved ones, you know, your, your friend and her husband and your mother and the new friends that you made while you were at the ranch. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm just feeling so tethered to my life. I'm talking about my life is in the like daily stuff, right? Yep. And I just, I really admire how you had the courage or I don't even know what the word is, Chris, to, to somehow lay those tethers down and give yourself these other experiences. And it's like, you know, you, you weren't doing anything permanent. This wasn't a forever and ever amen decision that you were making. And yet even with its temporary nature, I'm listening to you talk and thinking, well, I could just never do that. And so I love that you did, because I think when I say that to myself, I think it's a lie, but I think a lot of people feel that way. Do you know what I'm trying to say?
1: I absolutely do. I do think that not having the immediate family requirements of being here is definitely helpful. I mean, I think it, it's a lot easier for me to pack up and move someplace for eight weeks than it is for a family of four, right? To pack up and move and to move everything and do all that stuff. And, you know, even monetarily, it's a lot cheaper for one person than it is for four people to be able to do this. And so that definitely has helped. I do think though, that it's a conscious effort to figure out okay, let's just do it because here's, here, this might be my only chance to do it. And so I need to jump in and I need to jump in head first, right? I don't know when I'll ever have the opportunity to take eight weeks and work at the beach, you know, without having to go into the office. I may never have that opportunity in my adult life again while I'm working. And, you know, I'm lucky that my company is very flexible, even though we're working from home, but being flexible about traveling in, in different areas and doing that. I'm super thankful for the the leave of absence we took. I mean, again, like I said, at the time, it was like, it felt like it was a curse, like, this is going to be really hard. I don't know what to do. And now I'm just so thankful that I had that experience. What quarantine has taught me is don't wait, you know, when you have an opportunity, if there's something you want to do, don't wait and figure out how to make it happen. And you can't always do what you want, right? I would have loved to have gone over to paris and lived in paris for a year right and logistically that just wouldn't work because i still had to work and you know the time change and whatever but i think there's there has to be some level of courage to jump ahead and do some of this stuff and making sacrifices in other ways so that you can do some of these once in a lifetime kind of stuff I'm thankful that I've had these opportunities this year. I mean, I'm somebody who will always have to work right I, I mean, in my adult life. And unless I win the lottery, <laughs> But, you know, taking advantage of the situation when I can and being able to, you know, do some of these things. And it was so great to share Florida with my mother and give her that opportunity. Cause she's never done that either, you know, and live on the beach and enjoy that and just relax. And her and I talk about there was a benefit in the fact that it was quarantine where we didn't really want to leave the area or leave our little little bubble of the condo because we didn't feel pressured to go see, go see this and go see this and go see this and go see this. And a lot of times we do that on vacation yeah. and we force this, well, this is the only time I'm going to be here, so I have all these things to do. And we just, we didn't have that, we didn't have that opportunity, so we just existed Yeah, you were able to just be. Yeah, that's nice. I think
0: that you probably have already done this a little bit in the things that you just said, but I want to make sure not to miss the opportunity to ask since we're talking about opportunities. If you were boiling all of this down and going to offer us a nugget or a distilled version of what we've been talking about, how would you finish the sentence, all I know based on my experience of quarantine and based on my experience of taking and capitalizing on these opportunities when I had them, all I know is.
1: All I know is that my situation and the life that I leave has afforded me the opportunity to take myself out of what I'm comfortable with and put myself in these experiences when the opportunity presented itself. And I'm very thankful for that.
0: That's where the magic is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, we go out and with my friends, we go out to Penny's ranch every summer for a weekend and enjoy it, but I would never have lived on a ranch for that long and seen what I could do and how beautiful it is and a new appreciation for a different lifestyle. I mean, I think how hard they work and the value of having ranchers do what they do for us. I mean, it's, it was just amazing. And the beauty of spending time with my mother without the hustle and bustle of life and just enjoying just being in a beautiful setting and enjoying each other's company. I mean, those were two of the most amazing experiences that I ever had. And I am very thankful for that. And uh, And they came out of something
0: that's been terrible.
1: Terrible. And how are we ever going to do this? And how this is, I don't even know how I'm going to survive and end up being one of the best years that I've had. And there's clearly a lesson in there, right? About, you know, the whole making lemonade out of lemons kind of thing. But I'm thankful that I've had these opportunities this year because they've been wonderful.
0: It's amazing. Thank you.
1: You're welcome.
0: So before we close, Chris, we'll do the Bernard Pivo questionnaire that James Lipton used. What's your favorite word? Pagoda. What's your least favorite word? Can't. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally?
1: Kindness.
0: What turns you off?
1: Selfishness. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. (laughs) What sound or noise do you love? Uh, Waves crashing on the beach. What sound or noise do you hate? Fire alarms.
0: What profession other than your own would you most like to attempt?
1: Oh, gosh. Flight attendant
0: what would you definitely not like to do as a profession?
1: Nurse. Blood. Can't do it.
0: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you pass through the pearly gates?
1: It's a tough one. Welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Chris, for your time today. And I hope that as a community that's Pursuing light, that's pursuing finding goodness in life. And as you guys listen to Chris's story today, I really hope that you're able to take with you that idea and that challenge that I'm coming away with too, which is we've got to find ways to creatively capitalize on the opportunities that come our way. And even what looks really, really terrible may be an awesome blessing or gift in an ugly package. I want to thank you for listening in today. When our guests agree to be vulnerable with us and to share from the well of their life experience, one of the best ways that we can acknowledge that kind of courage is to communicate that what has been shared has fallen on ready ears and a heart that is open. So if there was something that struck a chord today, Please interact with the posts on social media that are related to this episode so that you can let that storyteller know about the impact that he or she had on you. If you haven't connected with us already on one of these platforms, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under the handle All I Know Podcast. Please remember that the ideas, opinions, and views shared today belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find fuel for working with in their own lives, from every episode. It should be noted that this podcast is not a therapeutic intervention, and it's not a substitute for advice or counsel from a mental health professional. All I know is a production of Inward Bound, which is a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado, and our team works primarily with children and their families that have been impacted by developmental or early childhood trauma, and we specialize in adoption and foster care issues. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you're interested in developing a relationship as a sponsor for this project, or if you're interested in being a guest and one of our storytellers on All I Know, you can reach us at alliknow at inwardboundco.com. I'm going to give that to you one more time. All I Know at inwardboundc And you'll never miss an episode if you visit the website so that you can subscribe or follow the show through your preferred streaming platform. And the way to find us on the web is to go to know.podient.co. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can.